0: Welcome, everyone, uh, to The Bridge Church. Uh, We are so delighted to be able to announce that we are uh, going to be uh, gathering together again soon. That's the plan, we're working on the plan right now. There's a survey out there we would love for you to fill out. Uh, If you didn't get an email invitation to that survey, please contact Pam at The Bridge and get that survey. There's gonna be multiple ways to get to that survey, and it will help us prepare and keep you safe. Uh, and keep each other safe as we move forward. Um, So I'm delighted that we are now planning. I I once said, looking at uh, Governor Pritzker's plan, that I don't think we're gonna be able to meet in 2020. And uh, with the softening of the rules about the church, uh, the onus falls on us for safety and we just wanna do a good job of being safe and we want to do a good job of protecting each other and loving each other and loving our community by doing this well. Today we continue in Luke, and last week, we, if you were able to see the service and, and uh, hear the sermon, you would have heard that in, in chapter nine, we are concentrating on the disciples to a degree, and, and I use as an illustration of the beginning of what it means to be discipled. I compared it to parenting. And I compared it to what it was like for me to grow up in the Bergie home and learn how to be a Bergie. Learn how to be my father's son and my mother's son. And uh, and all of us had similar experiences in being trained about integrity, being trained about work ethic, and being trained about faithfulness to family and uh, and love of family. Those things were caught. Those things were taught. Those things were Received by watching and learning and seeing our parents eyes and hearing our parents tone and knowing what they valued We learn to value what they valued and discipleship is a lot like that where we learn to value What Christ values by following Christians who have followed other Christians and? ultimately have followed Christ all of us return to Christ and are discipled primarily by Christ and in that, there is incredible hope that no matter what home you grew up in, no matter what time you start being a Christian, or no matter how much time you've spent not working on your relationship with Christ, you can be disciple today. You can lean into your relationship and learn about what Christ values, and value what He values, and learn about what He taught, and teach what He taught. Uh, it's all available to us in God's Word, and it's to God's Word that we turn this morning in, uh, in chapter nine, beginning in verse 18. And we're going to see that God reveals, that Jesus reveals God's glorious plan to his disciples. And by reading this passage, he's revealing it to us, his disciples. Jesus reveals God's glorious plan to his disciples. In verse 18, we begin. It says, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has arisen. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ, the Son of God. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. Jesus has this interaction, and and it's highlighted by God here in relation to what we've been hearing all along in Jesus' ministry throughout Luke. Even earlier in this chapter, Herod has asked the question, who is this? And the disciples, when the, the storm was stilled, who can this be? And now Jesus brings the question right in front of them. Who is it that people say that I am? You've just been out and been ministering in, in different towns and communities, and, and what are you hearing about Jesus? What are you hearing about me? As you teach about who I am, who are people, what are people saying? That's what Jesus said. He, he said, what are, as you look at the crowds, who are they saying that I am? Some said John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Herod wrestled with whether it was John the Baptist. Elijah, could it be one of the major prophets or is this just a prophet with power? Is this another prophet to come? They thought maybe Elijah because he had gone up into heaven in a cloud and maybe he could return because he never died. Maybe they expected Elijah to come and finish his ministry and that he left before maybe it was done and he passed off to Elisha. But either way, that's what the people are saying. They're saying that maybe he's just a prophet or maybe he's just John the Baptist to come back. And they're excited about the prospect of those things. But Jesus turns the question on his disciples. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Picture the scene that Jesus is uh, praying by himself. And the disciples are around him while he's praying by himself. And maybe they were in prayer also by themselves. Maybe they were modeling what Jesus was doing like a good disciple would. Maybe they were uh, just waiting till Jesus was ready to get to work again. Jesus kept going away to pray. And now Jesus is going away to pray in their midst. And as he's going away to pray, all of a sudden he interrupts the silence, the time of prayer, who is it that people, that people say that I am? John the Baptist, Elijah, maybe a prophet. And who do you say that I am? This is a pivotal moment in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is going to change its tone and tenor from here on out in chapter 9. Jesus' ministry is changed from here on out in chapter 9. It's marking the time when the disciples are being sent out, and it's marking the time when the disciples are being forced to answer the question, Who am I? Who is Jesus? He's asking them poignantly, Who am I? Peter answers. It's not a surprising thing. Peter is one who is probably quick to speak. And he answered and said, the Christ of God. He raises the bar, the the promised Messiah, the promised child of David that was was to come. and, and, And Isaiah, the suffering servant, the one who would come and make things right again, that would bring a new covenant, all these promises, messianic promises in the Old Testament. Peter is saying, you're the guy. You're the guy that's been promised from God from the beginning. From all the way back when the curse was given to Satan and to Eve. And to Satan it was that your head will be wounded and and to Eve you will Have a seed of yours that heal will be wounded. And this is the promise from the very beginning. Peter is saying, you're the guy. You're the one that's been promised. This is is really a big statement. Big enough? Well, God's going to do some instructing in this passage. This is a pivotal moment. He wants his disciples to understand that the glory of God is going to be revealed through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals God's glorious plan, and it's being revealed to the disciples now. So Peter says, the Christ of God, and Jesus says, really a remarkable statement, he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. Now again, this is for a short season. There is coming a time when the disciples need to declare it with power when after Pentecost when the, the spirit of God descends on them and they go and speak with power in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth and Peter preaches a sermon that leads thousands to Christ on that wonderful day. But right now Jesus is saying don't t-. he strictly charged them and commanded Don't tell this to anyone. Why? Well, the why is revealed. The first thing I want you to understand is that the person of Christ is revealed to his disciples. And this is incredibly important for us to understand that who Jesus Christ is to us. Lord, Savior, Messiah, Son of God, Son of Man. The titles that he took. Emmanuel. God with us. The person of Christ is essential to discipleship. Essential to being a disciple of Jesus Christ is understanding that Jesus Christ has revealed himself to us through his word and his his disciples. We need to study his word so that we understand who Jesus is. Jesus is revealed, he was revealing himself, himself to Peter and to the disciples. And he eventually was going to reveal himself beyond that to any who were willing to hear. But right now he says, hang on, don't say it to anybody else. The person of Christ is revealed to his disciples. The plan of Christ is revealed to his disciples. This place in Luke marks a shift where Jesus begins to talk about the passion. His suffering, his dying, what he came here for. What the center of the gospel is. The center of all four Gospels is the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. That's what all of this is building towards. That's what all of human history was building towards. And Jesus is now going to reveal that clearly to his disciples. In verse 22 it says, Saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and scribes. And be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now it's been spoken now clearly. It's been spoken in the context of who Jesus is, and who, as revealed by Peter, and who Jesus is, as revealed by the Father. Right now, he begins to give the plan. The plan is this glorious plan is that from the beginning of time, it was planned that Jesus' heel would be wounded. That he would suffer. That he would suffer at the mouths of people, at the hands of people, and on a cross. He is going to suffer in ways as he carries our sin on his shoulders that we'll never understand. His suffering has eternal value to it. And here he declares it. And it also says that he is not a victim. He is not simply a victim. There were those who were victimizing him, who were doing things to him that should, that should never have been done. They were not right to be done, but God was at work in all of it and through all of it. And right here in the middle of his ministry, as things shift, he declares, I have come to suffer at the hands of my enemies. I have come to be killed at the hands of my enemies. The elders, the chief priests and the scribes, the ones that he has eaten with, the ones that he has been preaching to, the ones that he has been encouraging to wake up. And yet they have declared themselves as his enemies and they are written eternally into the story as the enemies of Christ who brought about God's good purposes for all of us. And on the third day he will be raised This isn't the extent of the plan that God, this glorious plan that God reveals to his disciples. He reveals that the Son of Man must die, must suffer, must be taken at the hands of a mob. And we've seen on TV what a mob looks like when it's out of control and when it's scary and the adrenaline is pumping and, and Jesus is saying at their hands, I'm going to go. It's this I've come for. Put this in right relation to my identity. I am the Christ of God. I am the promised Messiah. I am the child of David. I am Emmanuel. And now I'm declaring that I am going to suffer and die at the hands of my enemies. Verse 23, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus gives a declaration of discipleship. If you're going to be my disciples, you'll suffer. If you're going to be my disciples, you're going to have to deny yourself. To look at Jesus' quote exactly, it says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would choose to be my disciple, if anyone would choose to be a Christ follower, anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily. What does that mean to deny yourself? That means that you make your desires for comforts, your desires for uh, the life that you can have here on earth, your desires for vacations and cars, your desires for the white picket fence and the dog and all the things that you want in this world, the things that you've dreamed of, the marriage that you've dreamed of, the the hopes and dreams that you've had since you were a child, that your life would be wonderful. He says, set that aside as I've set that aside. In what way? Does that mean we can't dream? No, that's not it. It's that our dreams are all set aside to the side in light of the gospel. That does not mean we don't dream and it does not mean that we don't have houses and that does not mean that we don't have clothes and that does not mean that we don't marry and are given in marriage. That does not mean that we don't move together as a community and, and have joyful days. But those joyful days are not what we worship. And those dreams are not what we worship. We worship Jesus alone. And Jesus suffered and set aside his desires and set aside his desires Needs for us and we are called to be his disciples and follow and do the same thing we are called to take up our crosses that means we take the cross beam that the, the, the one who was sentenced to death to carry on his own behalf to the mountains to the place where he would be crucified we are to pick up the cross beam as if we know that it is just a matter of time before this life is given away This life is temporary. This is not the life that we're living. And it isn't that we do it just one time. He says to do it daily. He says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The idea is that we too set aside our desires. We too set aside our needs at times. We too make them subservient to Christ, to the gospel, and to others. This speaks volumes into what's happening today. How is it that we are to respond to the riots that are going on? How is it that we are to respond to COVID-19? How is it that we are to respond as Christ followers when we come back together? Well, it is found in in moments and days of self-sacrifice, of love, of prayer, of humility, of laying down our rights for others, of listening to others, and setting aside our needs. It is not, the Christian way is not just clinging to our plan and our desires. The Christian life is not found in looting stores because the opportunity is before us. It does not. That is not Christian. And it's not right. The Christian life is not found in subduing others when you're in a position of power and taking their life from them. That is not a Christian response. There are so many un-Christian responses. Christians, rise up and carry your cross and set aside our lives and desires for comfort. For the sake of the gospel. It is the gospel that we promote. It is the gospel that brings peace with God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ that brings hope to humanity, to a lost and struggling humanity. And as Jesus' followers, we join him in bringing this message primarily. The world is incredibly divided right now. As divided as I can remember seeing it. It is divided and torn in pieces, and and people are angry, and people are scared, and people are frustrated. Church, rise up and declare that Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to make us eternally safe. Jesus came to give us peace with God. Jesus came to forgive us of our sins. And may we unite under the cross and carry our cross for the sake of each other and for the sake of the gospel, the sake of Christ. As God reveals his glorious plan to his disciples, this plan of Christ is revealed that he would go to the cross and we would follow him, that we would set aside our desires and needs for others and for the cause of the kingdom of God. Then he gives reasons. He gives an argument for why you should pick up your cross. He gives these arguments that follow. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You think you're giving up too much for Christ. You think that Maybe, you know, you're asking the question, what's the least I have to give up to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's the wrong question. The right question is, God, what do I have? It's yours. I would give up this life. I will make the trade. I will surrender this life for the one to come. I'm not looking for just trading a day or a two or a bit of my money. I am looking to surrender my life to you. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus was all in for us and we need to be all in for him. We need to surrender our lives for him and surrender our goods for him and surrender our dreams to him and surrender our hopes to him. And in so doing, he gives us the desires of our heart and gives us life eternal and causes wells of springing water to well up from within us and the spirit of God to descend upon us. And he gives us what we've truly been longing for, but we need to trust him Follow him in this place of surrender. The plan of Christ is that he would take up his cross. The plan of Christ for his disciples is that we too would take up our cross. And what does that look like? It looks like losing your life, but gaining it. He goes on to say, but for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world And loses or forfeits himself. Remember the scene again. Remember that the disciples have been listening quietly, and Jesus breaks in and he is trying. What has he been praying about? I don't know. Maybe God helped them to understand. Help them understand they're investing in a sinking ship. They're investing in the wrong things. Help them to see that the kingdom of God is just being revealed. It's just You're just seeing a glimmer of it. And if you trust in Christ and put your faith in Him and follow Him and surrender your life for Him, then your life will spring forward. You can trust me. As he says this, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? For what does it profit a man if he has financial freedom and independence, whatever that means. If he has the ability to go on and vacation anywhere in the world, if he can buy a boat, if he can buy a plane, if he can buy two new cars, what does it profit a man if he has those things but he loses his soul? What are we trading things for? What are we worshiping? Christ followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, the plan is that we would follow Jesus. With our whole hearts, that we would surrender who we are to Him, that we would trust Him. And He says here that consider for yourself what do you profit? This is what Jesus was tempted with. I'm not saying it's not tempting. Jesus was tempted with all of the kingdoms of the world being His. And Jesus declined it. He wants glory, He wants heaven. He wants eternity. He wants righteousness. He wants goodness. He wants healing. He wants health. He doesn't want a very short season of comfort and popularity instead of eternity in the presence and pleasure of God our Father through Jesus Christ. Jesus' plan is that we would surrender our lives. What does it profit a man Gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself. Verse 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Oh, how, Do those words lay heavy on you? I think they must have on the disciples. Whoever is ashamed of me, Peter would deny Jesus. Can you see the pressure of people around you wanting you to deny what you believe? The pressure of people around you wanting you to give up on your faith in Jesus Christ and declaring that it's too narrow, it's too short-sighted. Who is Jesus to say that I'm a sinner? Who is Jesus to say that he's the only way? Who is Jesus to be the one who is the Messiah of God? the Christ of God. Who is Jesus to say that he's that one and only man? Well, God the Father declares that he is. And if you decide that that is odious to you to declare, if you decide that it is too much for you to side with Jesus and you're embarrassed of Jesus and his message, okay, but Jesus now declares that some way that is gonna be played out in heaven. And the son of man is gonna hang his head to some degree when your name is mentioned. I don't know if this means that they won't go to heaven, but as disciples of Jesus Christ, do we want Jesus to be disappointed in us? I think this of the three reasons why Jesus tells us to take up our cross and deny ourselves. One is that if we save our life, we'll lose it. If we lose our life, we'll save it. That's a pretty important reason to pick up our crosses. The what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? Pretty good argument. I don't know if I could take the disappointment of the Lord Jesus. I, I can have all of the rest of you disappointed in me. I don't know if I could take Jesus being disappointed in me. I don't want Jesus to be. God, help us to walk with him and pick up our crosses and deny ourselves in a way that pleases him and promotes the gospel and and loves others, especially today. May we respond to COVID-19. May we respond to coming back together. May we respond to the Prejudice in our land and the riots in our land and the abuse of police and the abuse of African Americans and the the crazy mess that we have right now. These riots, hurting innocent people and opportunists doing things that are awful. Christians, this is not new. This has been lived out throughout the generations. Look at history. Look at how people have treated each other throughout history. But the sad thing is, look at how the church has treated people at times throughout history. There are times the church has risen up and, and been the place of love and the place of hope and the place of kindness and the place of peace. But there are times that the church, and of justice, let me add that one. The church has been a place of justice, but there are times that the church has risen up and just fought for its own rights and fought for its own rights freedoms and fought for its own desires and fought for its own comforts as if these were rights entrusted to them by God. And they are not rights entrusted to us by God. The right that is entrusted to us by God is to join Christ in suffering and join Christ in picking up our cross and join Christ in laying down our lives for the gospel and for others. Don't get me wrong, I want comfort too. But look at what the passage tells us. Look at how Jesus has revealed God's glorious plan to us, to his disciples. Well, As we see, the plan of Christ is revealed. Um, In taking up the cross and the arguments for that, we now turn to uh, proof And declaration where God the Father reveals the Son. And this is for the disciples' sake, and this is for our sake. In verse 28, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him Moses and Elijah Jesus is put on display now in a powerful way. He has just declared a story and a plan that seems weak. It seems weak except for the power of God behind the plan. And now God, in proximity to the calling, the sending and the calling of disciples and the uh, declaration of who he is, it says, Now in eight days, that's how it begins. In eight days after the sayings, he ties it to the sayings of Peter and the sayings of Jesus. Jesus has just been declared by Peter as the Christ of God. And now Jesus has said the plan is that I'm going to suffer and die and rise on the third day. And you too are called to suffer. And within eight days of those sayings, God puts it in context of those eight days because he wants these things connected. He wants you to understand that this question of who Jesus is and what he came for is tied to this powerful moment. He wants them and us to see that Jesus is not weak. Jesus did not do anything that his father didn't call him to do. He, didn't, he went as a lamb to, the, to slaughter But he went willingly and he went powerfully and he was always the lion. In the context of suffering, we have to remember who Christ is and who he's called us to be. In these eight days, after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James. It's for them, they're the ones who get to see it, and it's for us who get to read about it in the scriptures. And he went up on a mountain to pray, and as he was praying, Jesus, you keep finding Jesus praying. Can you find us praying? Do we value prayer like Jesus does? Here he is praying, and the miracle happens in the context of prayer. And he was praying, and the appearance of his face was altered, his clothing became dazzling white. This is in stark contrast to the clothing that the soldiers are going to put on Jesus, the purple robe of mocking. He is now wearing clothing of glory. It's as if he's clothed in the clothes that he wore then and will wear soon. Don't you know, dear friends, that these are not our clothes. We will share in the glory of Jesus Christ. This is not our land. We're going home. God has declared that this is not the place that we are to invest our lives in. If this is the life that we win, we are in danger of losing the life to come. As he was a praying, his appearance fell, and his, his face was altered, his clothing became dazzling white, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Two men were talking with Jesus. All right, There's so much about that moment that I love. And I can't, just imagine it. Imagine us, you and me, standing with Jesus, talking to him. Like friends, Moses' life was not easy. Elijah's life was not easy. There's a lot of heartbreak in it. There was a lot of disappointment in those lives. There was a lot of discouragement in those lives. But here, in glory, Moses and Elijah are chatting with Jesus. All of them in glory. All of them in glorious clothes. And Moses and Elijah are standing there talking to him. What are they talking about? Would you love to know? Well, it says, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure when he was about to, what he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They were speaking of his exodus. They were speaking of his departure. And Moses is there because it is tied to the exodus. Moses represents the law and Moses represents the pinnacle moment in the Old Testament of God's deliverance when he delivered the promised people out of the hands of the Egyptians and parted the Red Sea and and Moses is he's probably saying something like I get it. Everything that I went through is just a foreshadowing of what you're about to do. Glory to God. Glory to your name Jesus. And as there Talking about, and Elijah says, Oh, I was giving up on my ministry. And he represents the prophets. And as the prophets are speaking through Elijah, we see that even though, remember what the conversation they just had with the disciples, people are saying, Maybe Jesus is Moses, maybe Jesus is Elijah or one of the prophets. And now God speaks and says, No. Moses and Elijah come to worship at Jesus' feet. Moses and Elijah come to honor Jesus' ministry and foreshadow Jesus' ministry. All of what was written in the Old Testament was pointing to what Christ is about to do. And in this moment, what is declared for us is that this is God's plan. We are seeing the revealed plan of God that was eternal and glorious through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Jesus is revealing, at last, God's plan of deliverance and salvation. And Elijah and Moses come to bring glory to Jesus. So they're standing there speaking about the Exodus. They're standing there speaking about Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Listen to the words there, which he, Jesus, was about to accomplish. Jesus, as the tides turn in Luke, he's going to turn his sights towards Jerusalem and the passion, towards his suffering, towards his death. And yet, here it's described as that which Jesus is going to accomplish at Jerusalem. Jesus goes there with a purpose. He picks up his cross beam with a purpose. He does it to save. And we too, we also pick up our cross with a purpose and that is to promote Christ and to bring glory to Christ and to tell our stories in light of Christ just like Moses' story is now seen through Christ and Elijah's story is seen through Christ so our stories of COVID-19 and what happened to in Minneapolis to George Floyd are seen through Christ as we pick up our cross beams and carry them Christ is the definer of what history is from God's perspective. Christ is the center of history. Christ is the definer of our salvation and the center of our salvation. Christ is the definer of discipleship and the center of discipleship. What does it mean to be Christian? It does not mean just go to church. And check that mark when the census comes around. And tell your neighbors, maybe put a cross on your, on your bumper sticker. Is that what it means to be a Christian? That can't be all of it. It's got to be discipleship and following Jesus and becoming like Christ and surrendering this life for the next. This glorious moment, can you imagine being there? Can you imagine how exciting it was for uh, Peter and John and James? Well, in verse 32, it says, Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men stood with him. This is the only place in the telling, the synoptic tellings of the transfiguration, that sleepiness is brought up. (laughs) Uh, I wonder why they were tired. I wonder why in the middle of the story, why they're exhausted. And there's probably multiple possibilities. I'm not suggesting this is it, Uh, but I don't think, I imagine that it's like when I jumped out of an airplane with my daughter. Uh, When I jumped out of an airplane with my daughter, I was confident and comfortable till I got on the plane. We got on the plane and started to work our way up above where we were going to jump. And there was a fear and an anxiety that grew in me that was, uh, it's hard, like I wasn't thinking clearly. And when the time came, they had this garage door that opened. And when the time came, for he said, put your toes over the edge of stepping out." Everything in me said, don't do it. I had watched three or four people ahead of me. I still haven't gotten to my freak out moment. When I get to the place where I'm gonna put my toes up against the edge, I was no longer thinking. I was no longer, now I understand why you can't jump alone in the beginning. Because I don't know if I'd have opened the chute. I'm not thinking, I certainly wouldn't have jumped. He had to push me. He shoved me out the door. Um, Everything in me wanted to cling to that airplane. But what I, want you to recognize is that when we got in the car to drive home, I was immediately spent and exhausted, like I could hardly drive. I almost had to pull over and sleep on the side of the road. We did not make it home from that couple-hour drive in Wisconsin. We stopped in, uh, by Great America and pulled over. I couldn't make it. Exhaustion attends intense moments. Exhaustion attends when our adrenaline runs wild. Imagine what it was like for Peter and James and John in the, in the presence of Jesus in glory and Moses recognized in glory and Elijah recognized in glory. Maybe they were exhausted because their adrenaline was pushing through them so hard that they were, they were spent, they were done. And they, when they were fully awake, They saw his glory and two men who stood with him. And as the men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, as the men were leaving, as the scene was ending, maybe Peter wanted to prolong it, but clearly it says in this passage, Peter had no idea what he was saying. Peter is doing what Todd Berge often does, is when I'm scared or I don't know what to do, my mouth engages. There are a lot of you that your mouth doesn't engage. Peter and I are alike in this. I tend to talk myself into things and out of things. uh, And I would be wise to do less of that. And Peter would have been wise to do less of this. But interestingly enough, he decides to do the absolute wrong thing. It may have seemed right to him. As they were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. (laughs) Come here, Jesus. It's good that we're here. Let us make three tents for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. The picture was that let us recline together. Let's make three tabernacles. Let's put three tents together of equal value. And he doesn't understand that Moses and Elijah have come to glorify Jesus Christ and to bring honor to Jesus Christ. I wonder if Moses and Elijah shook their heads as Peter was talking. Uh, Dude, you have it wrong. We're not the ones here that need to be glorified. Jesus is the one who needs to be glorified. We aren't the ones that need to be honored. And the glory of God is revealed in us and through us as we glorify Christ. We take up our cross when we bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. And we glorify his name and we make his name famous and we make his name great. Jesus is the answer for us. And his Christ followers, we need to worship him and him only. And to drive that point home, God the Father speaks. Begins in verse 34, he says, And he was saying these things, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. As Peter was talking... The glory of God ascended, this cloud, and you see in the Old Testament numerous times, the pillar of cloud, or the cloud in the temple in Isaiah 6. There's this cloud that comes, and and it makes Peter and James and John afraid, which is an appropriate response. Fear is an appropriate response to the presence of God. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud as the cloud enveloped them, as the glory of God enveloped them. And they're watching this happen as Jesus is in all of his glory, and Moses and Elijah are departing, and Peter is talking, and all of a sudden he stops talking. And the glory of God comes, and the cloud of God comes, and they are afraid. All three tellings talk about the fear. They give it to different points. Moments when they were afraid. Fear is run through this as the glory of God is being revealed. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, and it's reminding of when he was baptized. And this is for our benefit, disciples of Jesus Christ. This is for the benefit of Peter and James and John. (coughs) God the Father says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Can you imagine God's glory descending on that street in Minnesota? This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Can you imagine in the midst of the mobs and the looting this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Ha <laughs> Why would we listen to him? In our homes, afraid. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Dear friends, uh, our stories need to hear. That Jesus has come. He is the chosen Messiah. He is the chosen Savior. He is Emmanuel. He is the long-awaited answer to all of our problems. And the one true story that we have, the one true message that we have for the world, is that Jesus saves that Jesus came and He died, and He is the Son of God, the one who was pleasing to the Father, the one who was sent by the Father, the one who was returned to the Father, and He has paid the price for us. He has sacrificed His life, and disciples rise up and put that sacrifice on display as we set our lives aside and pick up our cross and carry it. The power of Christ is revealed to His disciples. Well, as the voice came out and said, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Verse 36, And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent. An appropriate response to the glory of God. They kept silent. An appropriate response in the face of many of our frustrations. Sometimes it's okay to cry out to God and remain silent in front of others. They told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. The day was coming when they would speak clearly and loudly about what they had seen. And we would hear the story of the fear of the disciples and the misunderstanding of the disciples and the glory of God and Jesus Christ and how it was right at that perfect time, eight days after the question was asked, who do you say that I am? Friends, who do you say that Jesus is? Who are you telling others that Jesus is? How are you declaring that in COVID-19 and in the midst of these riots? How are you taking up your cross today? If you were a disciple, I mentioned in the beginning, in the beginning of last week, if you were a disciple of a bergy, you would get a few qualities that you would have picked up or would have not gone well with you. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must pick up your cross. You must sacrifice your desires at the altar of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We follow, picture Jesus going with his crossbeam to the cross, and we as his followers get in line daily and pick up our crossbeam and carry it. That's our job. Jesus has revealed God's glorious plan to his disciples. And in so doing, he's revealed the person of Jesus, the plan of Jesus, and the power of Jesus. And bringing the person and the plan and the power of Jesus to bear on what it meant to be a disciple should be what defines us as disciples. In the context of that, Jesus said, my plan for you is to pick up your cross and carry it. Whoever would gain their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will gain it. What does it profit someone to gain the whole world but to lose a soul? Dear friends, I hope that you gain real life. I hope that this environment is an invitation for you and others to gain your life. Disciples of Jesus Christ, rise up. Pick up your crossbeam and surrender yourselves for the cause of Christ. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your plan, your glorious plan where you entered into our mess. Where you came and suffered and died for us. Where your son was sent on our behalf. And he modeled for us what it means to be a Christ follower, to be part of the kingdom plan, the glorious kingdom plan. Father, would you accept our efforts and fill us with your spirit and make our efforts eternal? Would you help us to carry the cross? We don't know how. Would you show us how to respond in these crises? Would you help the church get a voice and may it have your words and your tone and your tenor. Father, would the church rise up and be the church, a gathering of Christ followers, Christ disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.